With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What is going on, everybody? Welcome into another episode, a special episode of the Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com. Make sure to visit the show at SoundCloud.com slash LandGrantHolyLand and subscribe to the show by going on to Apple Podcasts and searching the Hangout in the Holy Land. My name is Colton Denning, and I am your host coming to you a day before Thanksgiving. Want to wish you all a happy Thanksgiving whenever you may be listening to this. And if you're an international listener, we just want to hope that you're having a good week. We want to thank you guys for tuning into the show and want you to welcome in my buddy and colleague, Matt Brown, to talk about a huge, huge week. It is Michigan week. Matt, how you feeling, man? It's good to be back. Good to be back here at the SB Nation offices after a, a basically a week of, of being on tour. Uh, it's, it's good to be back after getting a chance to be back in Columbus for the first time in a long time for me. First time in Ohio Stadium since I got my diploma. Um, and, and a fun time to be an Ohio State fan because we have a bunch of stuff heading into, obviously, the most important game of, of the year. But I want to talk about that game with you, but, but real quick, if you'll just allow me one brief indulgence. Oh, I will. <laughs> good, because this was basically my podcast for a long time. So I want to thank everybody who came out to my events in New York City with the Ohio State chapter of the Alumni Club and at uh, the Book Loft in Columbus. It was great talking to a couple of listeners, uh, great talking to a couple of people who have, who have been connected to to uh, our website, our show, and everything. Um it, it, it meant a lot to me, and, and I, I hope you enjoy the book. Uh, there will probably be other events um, in the next couple of months. If you live in Chicago, we may do another one in Ohio if there's if there's interest. Um, and if you would like me to come to where you live, um, reach out to your uh, alumni club chapter, reach out to your local bookstore, your local library, and we'll see if we can, we can figure something else out. I w- uh, if you didn't, if you missed it, it was okay. It was a Friday night. There are a bunch of big playoff games in Ohio. I get it. Hang on. Uh, keep following me at Matt SBN. I have a couple of extra signed copies of the book. I'll be giving a couple of them away, so be sure to stay tuned uh, on on my Twitter feed, Matt SBN. And there, there, there's a bunch of stuff in the book that I think is actually germane to this week because so much um, how success was defined, the, the 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 true aspirational program in the Midwest. All of this is tied to Michigan. And, you know, the things are a little bit different now. I don't think we're being super-ish if, if we, you know, point out that over the last decade or so, Ohio State's had the upper hand in this rivalry. They're clearly the superior football program. Um, that, that certainly wasn't the case for, for large swaths of, of Ohio State history. And, you know, the, the roots of where Ohio State is today, a lot of that comes from Michigan. Yeah, it does. The The crazy thing about this rivalry and the coolest thing about this rivalry is, is how much history there is tied back to it. And, and I'm looking at the Winsipedia right now, and the rivalry goes in spurts. Like you said, Ohio State is on a run of success. The people who are uh, probably a little bit older than me tend to remember a lot about more about the 90s and the run of success that Michigan went on. I luckily don't remember any of that stuff and kind of just live in this ignorance as bliss world where Ohio State is dominated. But 
we've seen the rivalry shift and Ohio State is in a really good place right now. And there's been so many awesome moments and a lot of the talk about this year's game has centered on what happened in last year's game. And we saw that a, a certain swath of Michigan players the other day brought up that Michigan actually won the game. We'll, we'll see how that strategy works out for them. And if that fires up the Ohio state players, which I think it will, but um, the talk is of course about the spot and we at Land Grant Holy Land have been purveyors that the spot was indeed good, and it was. was but there, there's a there's a lot more to what happened in last year's game, and a, a lot more story to come out of that than just the spot was good. Personally, I, I think that Michigan blew a really really good chance, not just to win that game, but to have their most distinguished season in a really long time overall. But there, there's a lot going back when you look at last year's game. I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, I've seen a bunch of retrospectives about the spot this week from Ohio State and Michigan beat writers. And, and I think that's important because, honestly, and this really contentious rivalry, like that was one of the, the biggest single plays, biggest events, certainly in the last 20 years. It, it makes sense to continue to talk about it. It makes sense to to I understand why Michigan players would be would be salty about it, um, even though they're wrong. Uh, actually, the spot was good, and and uh, no amount of MS paint uh, breakdowns or referee conspiracies uh, changes that. But it does, I think, overshadow a bunch of other stuff that happened in that game, which was objectively awesome. I think anybody who's not a diehard Michigan fan, I think, could appreciate a lot about that game. And I have something about this going up on SBNation.com. I think it publishes on Friday, but we can talk about this a little bit. You're completely right. One, we forget that Michigan absolutely should have won this game. The spot should have should have never happened, in part because, one, Michigan was can – I, can, I, can I cuss on this podcast? Absolutely. Michigan was really fucking good last year. Like, I know that it's really funny to point out that Harbaugh is one in four in rivalry games at Michigan, or that Michigan's never finished better than third and is probably going to finish fourth in the Big Ten East. Like, all that's true. But we also have to remember that, like, Michigan was one of the four best football teams last year. They finished third in S&P Plus. They, their three losses on the year were by one point, three points in double overtime, by a point again, and they had a little bit of injury bad luck against a really good Florida State team. They had an absolutely outstanding defense just dunked on a bunch of really good teams in the Big Ten and massively outplayed Ohio State in, like, the first half and, like, halfway through the third quarter. Um, and because of some weird play calling and some inopportune mistakes, they weren't able to uh, really separate, right? Like, Ohio State had, like, one drive until, uh, like, the eight, like the near the very end of the third quarter when they scored a second touchdown that was also abated specifically by Harbaugh losing his shit on the sidelines, throwing a temper tantrum, breaking his headset, and getting an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty that moved Ohio State to, like, the Michigan four-yard line, um, which, given how poorly Ohio State kicked in that game, was really significant. So, I, I mean, I, I, I get that we have, we have to keep going back on this, but one, we have to remember how good Michigan was when we evaluate what kind of coach Harbaugh is or whether he's been successful. He got a little bit unlucky and made some very specific Harbaugh mistakes that I think kept them from winning that game, a game where they had the better football team, in my opinion, and, and probably should have won. Um, and what was a game that we should celebrate and we should put on you know, ESPN Classic and, and showcase on the Big Ten Network all the time as a really, really good defensive battle that was close all the way through, had a bunch of great highlights. Jabril Peppers had his own, his first college interception. Um, Malik Hooker had that awesome pick six. There were some great sacks. It was a really, really good game. Let's not belittle it or take away from what Michigan accomplished last year by only talking about a very good spot. Although, we, uh, to be fair, 
the spot was good. Yeah, and I think that that's what makes that game so great. Not the spot being good, although that does make the game great. But the fact that Ohio State should not have won the game in, in the last 10 years, they've I'm, I'm pretty sure they've been favorites for every game other than the 2011 game. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But that was, for me, what made last year's game so sweet is that they had no business winning that game, and you can look back at a couple of different plays, the goal line play where Wilton Spate fumbled the snap, uh, the Curtis Samuel run before the spot that should have been like a eight-yard loss, and he turned it into a nine-yard gain and, and gave him that fourth and one. So there's a lot of interesting individual plays in that game where if they go another way, Michigan wins the game, and to deny them that season that they've been longing for for so long when they were so close I think makes it – even sweeter, even despite the fact that you looked at Ohio State in their next game against Clemson just got absolutely demolished. So you, you can always look back at that game and, and have those memories. And it was one of, if not the greatest game in, in the history of this rivalry in the modern era, at least. But mo- moving into more general stuff and talk about Michigan, since we're on the subject of Jim Harbaugh and what the state of the Michigan program is, because there's been a lot of talk about this as of late, even leading up to the season. And now that the fact that I I think they have locked up fourth place in the big 10 East, even if they do win this week due to the tiebreakers uh, came out today, whether it was a report or not, Brady Quinn, for whatever reason is, is breaking news now and, and said that he talked to somebody within the Michigan uh, athletic department or somebody close to the situation that said that Michigan is prepared to offer Jim Harbaugh a, a lifetime contract, which is very interesting because I, I think for one, no matter who you are, no matter if you're Nick Saban, Urban Meyer, whoever, giving any coach a lifetime contract is an absolute recipe for disaster. And two, I want to ask you, what do you think about the the status of the Michigan program right now? Our colleague Bill Connolly wrote a piece about how Michigan is fine right now, how this should have been expected. They're very inexperienced, how 2018 was always the year for them and that people should get their laughs in now because 2018 is going to be when the Michigan program takes off. And and I think it's okay to think that, but I also think that when you look at really what's going to happen in 2018 with their schedule, that assuming Michigan is just going to turn this corner, I don't think is a given. Those are two good questions. Let me try to address the first one. And um, before we fly off the handle about this, like I think we really do have to have a really big grain of salt. Um, nothing against Brady Quinn, but that's not typically the person that you would have to break this kind of report. And what constitutes a lifetime deal might mean a lot of different things. And and uh, the, the idea of wanting to extend a guy for even like another decade, I think, is probably a bad idea. Um, and it's not because I don't think he's been successful enough. Like, you know, I, the, the jokes are funny. I'm going to make them on the internet because I'm not a nice person. And uh, I think you, you could credibly say that Harbaugh's accomplishments at Michigan have not been in line with what he's actually accomplished. Uh, some of that may be due to the Harbaugh mania for the Michigan fan base and, um, you know, his attention grabbing exploits. Like, look, that's fine. Um, but to, to give that kind of extension, I think just goes to show the troubling imbalance between, you know, of, of any kind of, of 
metric to be able to hold his excesses in check. But right? you bring in an athletic director who's pretty clearly a Harbaugh guy in part because you, you just want to keep this guy around. There's there's nobody basically. It seems like there's nobody within this university or this athletic department that's ever going to be willing to tell him no or just put your arm around him and like Jim, I just need you to fucking be cool for like two minutes. And you need that with a guy that is going to keep pushing the envelope. Not, I mean, not that he's going to like create some kind of like weird SMU like booster scandal or anything. I'm, I'm not, I'm not inferring that. But you, you need somebody to be able to kind of rein him in just a little bit to prevent things from ultimately hurting the department. And and there's going to be a big backlash, I think, to Michigan, especially if they lose this game, given all the hype and everything. And you want somebody to be able to to try and you know tactfully and professionally. Uh, limit that a little bit and if you're all and if your response after all of this is let's give him a 10-year extension and a raise or something i don't think that's good governance because you're bidding against yourself like there's no amount of money that michigan can give harbaugh that would keep him from turning down an nfl position that he actually liked and there's pretty clearly no other college job that's ever going to take him so you don't have to bid against yourself this, the same thing is true here for for ohio state i think um maybe i mean i, I my hot take is I suspect Ohio State might actually have a bigger reason to worry about the NFL big picture than, than Michigan does, but that that, that, that that might be another podcast because it's not built up by like actual reporting. Now, the more interesting question is what do you think about Michigan structurally as a program? And I agree with Bill. I think there it is fair to say that there are some you, there's some parts about Michigan that you would expect to be better. Year three into Harbaugh, given how well they've recruited, Michigan's offensive line should be better than it is. It's never really been great. Uh, and they've recruited a bunch of players and have this institutional history of having good offensive linemen that hasn't been there. They've had good running backs, strangely not necessarily the running backs that you would expect. Um, and I, the quarterback play being a little bit uneven, I think is expected given that they didn't have any quarterbacks at all when, when he got there and had to make do with a kind of a marginal guy and a bad transfer. Uh, and, and they've done pretty well with that. They've, they've been unlucky. They've been unlucky with, with injuries. And they're going to return basically everybody next year. So to me, if they don't succeed at a high level next year, that's when you begin to have the big concerns about Michigan. Right now, there's some play calling hiccups. They've been a little unlucky. They're very young. This is about what they were expected. But you do bring up an important point about the schedule. So let's very briefly take a look at next year's Michigan Wolverines, a team that I expect will be in the preseason top 10, even though they're not going to finish in the top 25 this year. Season opening game at Notre Dame. That's hard. You host uh, two pretty decent group of five teams, Western Michigan and SMU. Michigan should obviously win both of those, but they could potentially have to sweat through either of them. You host Nebraska, who will probably suck. Um, but your other road games uh, are at Northwestern, at Michigan State, and at Ohio State. Um, so you've got three really hard road games in your schedule that year, and you're drawing Nebraska, Northwestern, and Wisconsin as your cross-divisional games, which means this might be about as hard of a Big Ten schedule as you could possibly have if you're if you're a team in the in the in the Big Ten East. You know, maybe you swap Northwestern with Iowa. Um, so even if they improve significantly, you're right. Like they might not go ten and two just because their schedule is really hard. And that's going to, if and when that happens, you there needs to be other bigger conversations about Michigan football. Yeah, and I think it's okay to take both sides of it. That you can say that he has lived up to the hype 
in a, in a certain degree, but also that he's underperformed and not that it means he deserves to be fired, but I, I think it's a legitimate conversation worth having because personally, I don't buy the inexperience excuse. This is a team that's seventh nationally in the team talent rankings in the 24 seven sports composite. And you can say what you want to about recruiting sites and the way that they evaluate, but I think it's a pretty good gauge of overall talent. And they're pretty clearly the second most talented team in the big 10 behind Ohio state. And when you're 12 games into the season and you're still having some of the problems that they are, I, I don't really buy that inexperience is a factor anymore. Like th- these kids are seasoned. They've gone through a full Big Ten slate. They should be ready to play. And, and I don't think it's as much the talent that they have on hand as something you alluded to as their coaching. And, and if I were a Michigan fan, I would be pretty disappointed if Michigan didn't make some sort of changes either to their offensive staff or their offensive philosophy this offseason, because I think it's a little bit outdated in in the fact that they're still running what Jim Harbaugh liked to run at at Stanford, and it's not having success in the Big Ten, I think is a little bit of a red flag. And, like, when you look at this season, what's Michigan's best win? Purdue? They haven't, yeah. I think it's our friend Kyle Rowland tweeted, like, they haven't beaten a team that's above 500 in over 400 days. And, like, to be fair... That's not totally Michigan's fault. Like, it's not their fault that Florida, Cincinnati, and Air Force have all been hot garbage. Yeah. Like, that's that's actually a pretty good out-of-conference schedule, and it's not their fault that, um, you know, their, 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 their divisional games included Minnesota and Purdue. Like, there's what, what, what can you do? Would we, would, we be, would we be changing our minds that much if they had beaten Michigan State? Like, I don't, I don't think—I mean, so—and if, if that game is not in a monsoon, they win that game by, by 10 points. Like, the only reason they won is because they were throwing the football inexplicably <laughs> in a torrential downpour. I don't think that that would change too much about what this team is or the fact that they'll have one win over a team over 500. I don't, I don't know. I completely agree with you, but I also think it would be different if they have won one of these games since Harbaugh has been there because right or wrong, and, you know, they've lost a lot of these games really close— they still don't have that one signature win, and it's not fair to say that beating the hell out of Penn State last year wasn't a signature win because Penn State wasn't on the run that they were that they would eventually be on at the time that those two teams played. And I I, I don't think it's fair to just say, well, they they haven't beaten anybody like you're saying because of the way that their schedule has shaken out. But like, man, at some point they need to get that win. And I say all that to to lead up to Saturday's game and the fact that Michigan can absolutely win this game. We have seen worse Michigan teams play similar or better Ohio State teams tough in Ann Arbor and in Columbus and win. But I I think that this isn't a must-win game for Jim Harbaugh and his whatever legacy at Michigan, but I think it's pretty damn close. And if there's a time that they're going to beat Ohio State and need to beat Ohio State. If it wasn't last year, it's this year. I, I think I think next year, even though the game's going to be in Columbus, might be an easier road for the Wolverines since Ohio State is going to be break. There's going to be a much younger team that year. Um, but no, I mean, like, look, you, you have to win this game every year if you're Ohio State or Michigan, right? Uh, it would be it would be a big deal to ruin Ohio State's you know playoff chances and get yourself back into the top 25 and get yourself into a better bowl game and have a little bit of momentum. Um, it wouldn't save this season for Michigan, it, but it, it would it would get a huge monkey off off its back. It's going to be a very weird off season though uh, if they lose, especially if they lose their bowl game. You know, if they get you know 
face Texas A&M or uh, you know Stanford, maybe. Um, then, 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 then things things can get weird. So, um, let's talk, I guess, very briefly about this actual game. Um, we know what Michigan is at this point. We know what Ohio State is at this point. Um, Ohio State's a relatively big favorite, a double-digit favorite, something that doesn't often happen in this particular game. Um, is there are you at all? Is there anything about Michigan that worries you? Because um, there is something here for me. The biggest thing is the defensive line. And Ohio State's offensive line has been really, really good since the Iowa game. But we saw against Oklahoma, who really doesn't even have anybody outside of Oboe Okoronkwo, that the line got dominated in in some of these other high-profile games against good defenses lately. We've seen that. And Michigan has the best defensive line, I think, by far, that Ohio State has played this season. And this is going to be a really huge test for them. And if they're not able to run the ball effectively on first and second down. I don't know how much I trust them to have a lot of success throwing in third and eight or third and nine and protecting JT Barrett because that's still been a little bit of an issue when they've had to throw on those longer passing downs. So that that would be my biggest concern. If they can't win first and second down like they've been able to do lately, then Michigan may tee off on Barrett in the passing game. That ties into really one of the uh, the, the things that I, I would be concerned about, right? So like, this is an imperfect stat because I, I think you could look at this uh, the schedule and say that Michigan's only played one good offense this year, but they've given up more than 20 points in regulation just twice this entire season. They gave up 24 to Wisconsin, and and that happened late in the game, and then they got murdered by Penn State. Which, okay, Penn, Penn, Penn State's really good. That was that was on the road. They they got boat rest. They gave up 20 points in overtime um, to Indiana. Everything else has been under that, and and that's 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 impressive. Now, granted, like Ohio State's defense has also been uh, very strong as as a as a scoring defense. I, I think some of those numbers are uh, a, a little inflated because of garbage time. But and then you had two very public, very public uh, meltdowns against Iowa and against Oklahoma. Uh, and one of the two things that those one of the things that those two teams do pretty well is utilize tight ends in the passing game. So I'm, I'm yeah, I, I'm worried about Ohio State's ability to stay on schedule. It's, it's, Michigan's defense is, is really, really good, especially that line. And I'm worried about Ohio State's defense, uh, their linebackers, to, to perform in coverage. And I think that's improved a little bit. But the things that Iowa did to just eviscerate the Buckeyes are things that Michigan has historically been able to do well. I think the Buckeyes are going to win. I don't think they cover. I think they win like 27 to 20 or 27 to 21. Um, and then we have another glorious offseason. That's a good point about the tight ends and fullbacks because I believe Michigan hasn't thrown a touchdown to a wide receiver since the Cincinnati game. And folks, that was September 9th. So that was a long time ago that they have done that. And we saw uh, Virginia Tech have a lot of success even going back a couple of years ago, throwing to Sam Rogers. He was in my nightmares for a couple of years after the way he destroyed Ohio State. But uh, I think the big key to this game, and Patrick and I had talked about this on last episode of the podcast, is Ohio State avoiding making an early mistake like they did against Iowa with the pick six. Anything that gives Michigan life at home immediately at the start of this game, I think is kind of one of those forebears to like, uh-oh, this is going to be a long game because – if they're able to avoid those mistakes, do you know what Michigan's ranked in S&P Plus offensively, Matt? Uh, I think it's pretty nice, isn't it? 
It is well. It, it's nice for us, but not so nice for them. They're ranked 69th in offensive S and P plus, and so I, I don't think that there's a ton that Michigan can do that can really stress Ohio State out defensively. And I talked about pressuring J T. Barrett. It goes the same way around. I, I think that if Ohio State can get Michigan into those third and seven, third and eight situations. That Rushman package is going to tee off, and we haven't even brought up Michigan's quarterback situation. I don't know what the status for Brandon Peters is. Like, just as a human being, you would hope that he doesn't play. And I'm not just saying that because he plays for Michigan. Like, after the way he got rocked last week, I don't see how a human should play football the week after that. But if Wilton Spate plays this game, which I don't think is likely, or John O'Corn plays this game, I really like Ohio State's chances. I don't know how bullish I am on them covering a double-digit spread, but uh, just on paper, th- this is a game that I feel comfortable with Ohio State winning yeah, 34-21 to 21 if they're able to avoid some mistakes because they get into those. They, they just stay in standard downs. They're able to run the ball, which we saw Wisconsin have a lot of success with in, uh, in the second half of last week's game. Then I think that things can turn out pretty well for them. I think that whoever Michigan's going to play a quarterback is, is, is going to be is going to struggle a little bit um and it's it's I'm, I'm much more optimistic about them next year but you're either bringing in somebody whose health is a concern somebody who uh is going to really be in a, a tough position against a really good defense or a quarterback that's just like not good i don't think john o'corn's good i don't think anybody who was like who lost your job to a non-quarterback in a g5 school is going to be good if you tend if you take them to a bigger school um and uh that, that, that's a matchup where I think Ohio State can win and has to win uh, in, in order to um, in, in order to move forward here. So the, the one of the things, I mean, like, I, I'm cool with this game being held in a different time every once in a while. I, for some Ohio State fans, this game being at noon is like some very treasured tradition. Like, whatever. I, I, I'm, I can't get emotionally invested in the fucking time of day. But it is nice that this game then is, is out of the way. Um, so you either prepare for drinking or, you know, uh, you can move on with the rest of your life. What else are you watching um, this weekend in our, in our last regular season? Everything. This is this week is massive. From Thursday to Saturday, there is everything going on. Got the Egg Bowl on Thursday, which, like, not a lot of stakes on the line, but always good for just some real-life hate. Like, we want to talk about the rivalry between Ohio State and Michigan on this podcast, but things are always seem to be pretty civil at least when it comes to real life. That is not the case with the Egg Bowl. You also have USF, UCF, which there are a lot of stakes. I kind of have a hot take that I haven't put out there. I think either UCF is going to lose this game or that rematch against Memphis in the AAC title, and people won't have to worry about the playoff committee keeping them out. And then uh, go to Friday, Saturday. On Saturday, Georgia and Georgia Tech in Athens. We saw Georgia lose to Georgia Tech last year. When you have to play that type of game, against Georgia Tech with everything on the line. This is Georgia's time to either, I think, really put up or shut up that they've turned the corner under Kirby Smart. And I'm not so convinced that this isn't going to be a really good game. And then even on the undercard stuff, Clemson, South Carolina is pretty interesting. That's in Columbia. Somehow South Carolina is 8-3 under Will Muschamp, and you know that he's going to want to keep that game to like a 12-10 score. And with Clemson's offense being so inconsistent, that's possible. And then the Apple Cup too. So a lot of really fun stuff. And then there's a lot of other undercard games that are nice as well iron bowl as well yeah yeah i i i'm gonna obviously check in on that i I love that you mentioned the egg bowl and the apple cup i think those are two 
legitimately like angry rivalries. Like there's there's rivalries that matter a lot on the football field. Ohio State in Michigan is kind of is interesting, in part because these fan bases are a lot more similar than uh, they might like to admit. But there's not a ton of cross pollination outside of Toledo within those states, right? Like there's not a ton of Michigan grads or Michigan fans in Columbus, or within like. 40 minutes of, of Columbus. Um, you go to a place like Chicago or where I live, yeah, they're, they're, they're gonna they're gonna mingle a little bit. but but in places like like in Mississippi or around Seattle uh, for the the Apple Cup, they mingle or or the Holy War for that matter. They mingle all the time. And when you have that kind of close proximity uh, and uh, that I think is what leads to more explosive rivalries, especially because both those games typically are not do not have massive national implications like the, the Apple Cup this year, uh, does a Washington State could win the Pac-12 North um, if, if 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 they if they win this game? So that there's going to be a I think that's going to be particularly intense. Same thing with the uh, with Clemson South Carolina. Those teams are typically not both good at the same time, and now they they kind of are. And I, I think Clemson's definitely beatable. Um, so so that that's going to be really interesting. One one other one just to put on your radar here on Friday night when you're when you're sleeping off. Everything that you've eaten still. Virginia is kind of good now. Um, and Virginia Tech has beaten them like, I don't know, like 12 years in a row. UVA hasn't won that game since 2003. Okay. They might win this time. Yeah. And that they was, should that, win. Yeah. Like, you, you, plus, you should watch it because they're actually, they're, they're actually both fun. Virginia just slings the ball around all the time. They have a pretty good defense. They're, they're awkward. There's a toaster involved. Virginia Tech football has been fun for a while. That's the most aesthetically interesting game on Friday. Like, I'm not watching Iowa and Nebraska unless my boss calls me and says I have to for work. And I don't really enjoy watching South Florida. I thought I would this year. They're 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 low key, not fun. Um, that 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 I think is, is is the good game here. Plus, also one last thing. Um, some people are going to get fired this weekend. Potentially, like I mean, like Mike Riley is probably going to be fired like immediately after this game. Um, there's going to be at least one or two that are going to be like, oh, I'm very surprised by that. My prediction for the, I didn't think he was going to get fired, but he might get fired. Watch what happens to Todd Graham at Arizona State. Ooh, that's spicy. It's a, There's a couple of whispers coming out there. Uh, doesn't have the same booster support uh, as, as, as maybe some other schools. It's a place where there's a lot of potential, like especially if they lose. But even if they win, don't be surprised if he doesn't come back. That's all I'm saying. I, I'm very interested to uh, to hear that. And Kevin Sumlin's another name that's like reports have come out that he's getting fired either way. And whether it's Arizona State or uh, Texas Tech, who's probably going to lose to Texas. If I'm one of those middle-level schools and Kevin Sumlin gets fired, I am calling him immediately and trying to hire him because I, I think that he'll be he'll, he'll land on his feet no matter where he goes after Texas A&M. Um, the last in-state rivalry game with massive stakes on the line that I want to talk about. Purdue, Indiana for bowl eligibility, Matt, for not only the old Oaken bucket, but for bowl eligibility. And I have a hot take here. I think that if Purdue wins this game, it's totally going to shift the paradigm of that rivalry. And we'll, we'll see Purdue take that kind of chaos spot that Indiana has held for the last three or four years because Purdue's pretty decent and Indiana has fallen off a little bit of a cliff as the season's gone on. They played a really hard schedule to start the year, but I think that this is a huge game for Purdue's program. You are not kidding. I mean, there's a chance one of the, I think one of those two schools can still back into a bowl game. 
either way get with APR scores and everything, but um, you're, you're right. Like that, 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 that's been a very low wattage game. And now there's some actual stakes for the first time in a long time. Uh, that, that, that could be kind of fun. I'm, I'm rooting for Indiana, even though Purdue's more fun um, in part because I went out on a limb and did a lot of, I think Indiana's actually good predictions uh, before the season. And I want to be right so I can gloat. Um, I want to see Crimson Quarry burn. So I'm I'm going Purdue all the way. We don't want any of those <laughs> listen. We don't want any site on the SMB Nation Network to burn. It's very important for my livelihood and my day to day existence that everybody remains very successful and uh, and very happy. I think that's gonna be that's gonna that's gonna about do it here for me, um, folks. Again, please be sure to follow Matt SBN uh, tonight. In the next couple of days, going to be selling and giving away a couple of signed copies of What If, A Closer Look at College Football's Great Questions. It's a book I wrote. It's a whole chapter about when Michigan got their ass kicked out of the Big Ten and what that would have meant for Ohio State and a potential major rivalry with Notre Dame. Um, and there, there's, some, there's some fun nuggets about Ohio State history in there. I think you might enjoy it. Yeah, definitely check out the book. I've read the book twice over, and I really enjoyed it. So with the holidays just right around the corner, if you have a loved one that loves college football or just a gift for yourself, treat yourself. Treat yourself. Listen, this book is such a great dad present. Like, I basically wrote this thing in mind for people like, shit, what do I get my dad, my older dad? For, for Christmas. Get him this book. Yeah, absolutely. Get him the book. We'll have a link to it in the post. We always have a link to it in the post because it's an awesome book. Make sure to check it out. Also, be on the lookout for all of Matt's events that are coming up. We'll make sure to flood those on the website, landgrantholyland.com, and on our Twitter, which you can follow at landgrant33. You can also give me a follow on Twitter, at dubsco, and make sure to check out the show. Go to soundcloud.com slash landgrantholyland and subscribe and review the show by going on to Apple Podcasts and searching the Hangout in the Holy Land. You got anything else, Matt? That, that's, that's all I got, my friend. Uh, I hope Ohio State beats Michigan. I hope so as well. All our listeners hope so. And I think we're going to be in luck. So until next time when we'll be breaking down the Ohio State-Michigan game, for Matt Brown, I'm Colton Denning. Ladies and gentlemen, a year later, and the spot is still very, very, very good. This has been the Hangout in the Holy Land, and go Bucks.